And so, Father, because you have thought of this moment from the beginning of time, we pray that you would give us the blessing that you have chosen. That somehow, Lord, you would use this man who stands before us to preach your word. You would use him in spite of himself. And we pray for the Spirit of God to be moving in our hearts, in our ears, and in our minds, that you may awaken us to the reality of God and of eternity. And we pray, Lord, that as he speaks, that you may help us to see Jesus. And as we see him, we will not resist. This is our prayer. And we trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you bring your Bibles? It's a lot more than earlier today. We'll keep praying. I heard that there was an incident. People couldn't get into their dorm to get their Bibles. I guess tomorrow you just carry it with you all day. It's not that heavy. Luke chapter 23, if you have your Bibles. We're going to be beginning a series of messages tonight. Answering the question, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Most of you, your immediate answer is Jesus died to pay for our sins. That's your first question. But I want to ask the question from a very practical standpoint. How did Jesus go from ministering in Galilee and in Judea to ending up nailed to a piece of wood? Why did he die? And who decided to concede to this process? So in Luke, the 23rd chapter, the Bible says in verse 13, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him, In your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. This is interesting because we'll look at Pilate tomorrow evening. But this is interesting because it is not just Pilate that is listening to the words that he is saying. It is the Jews. It is the chief priests, the rulers, Peter and John who are in the audience, and also the soldiers that are there. And tonight we're going to focus upon the soldiers. The soldiers heard their governor, the man who commands them. The man who holds their lives in his hands, they heard him say, I find no fault with this man. In other words, Jesus is innocent. Now you have to keep this in mind when you consider the behavior of the soldiers. 
that while you stand, you hear the governor who decides justice, who decides punishment, say, this man right here, I find no fault, not even one, no cause of death. And not only did I find no fault, Herod found no fault with this man. But the crowd was not satisfied. And so the Bible says in verse 26, Now as they led him away, that's the soldiers, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Then we have a a discussion with the multitude, so let's skip down to verse 32. And the Bible says there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, or Golgotha, there they did what? Crucified him. There's a lot in that word. There they crucified him, right there in the place called Calvary. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left, in verse 34, it says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I have to pause here for a moment to make my first point about the soldiers. You see, in a very practical sense, Jesus died because soldiers nailed him to a cross. They physically held Jesus down to this piece of wood. They took the nails, held it above his physical hands, and they took a hammer and they began to hit the hammer until it not only went through his hands, but into the wood, solidly into the wood. These are not men who don't lift weights. These are not scrawny little individuals who just enrolled because they're hyped up about being in the military. These are Roman soldiers. And the first point to make about these Roman soldiers tonight is that these individuals were heartless. You say, why do you say heartless? Because here you have an individual who knows from the very lips of the judge himself that this man is innocent. But yet he tells you, go crucify him. Give him capital punishment. But I heard you say he was innocent. So why then are you crucifying Jesus as a soldier if according to the governor, according to Herod, and according to yourself, this man is innocent? Well, that's because the soldier would answer to you, why did you kill Jesus? The soldier would say, I was just doing my job. I was just following orders. Now this is interesting because these are the individuals that boggle our minds in terms of the murders that take place in history. If you just take a moment to reflect for a second on all the tragedies that have taken place on this planet, I've been to Rwanda. I've seen the people with the machete scars on their head. I've been to the place where they lined up children and they divided them based upon their tribe, regardless of their age. And to go there and ask yourself the question that men did not use rifles, they used machetes. You know what it takes to kill a person with a knife? 
but not just a person, a million of them in a hundred days. They said the Hutu soldiers, when they would go out to kill Tutsis, they would leave like a job from nine to five. And they were so used to slashing all day long that they would come home and they would continue slashing into the night because their muscles were so cramping up all the time that they had to do this motion. And just leaving corpses in the street. And you ask the question to one of them individuals, why, why, were, you, why were you killing these Tutsi people? Did they do you any wrong? No. Just doing my job. This is what I was asked to do. They said, if you don't kill them, we will kill your family. You go over to Nazi Germany. And you're talking about putting babies in an oven just to see what happens. You're talking about putting individuals on a certain diet upon which they can subsist. And as they put them on this diet... They say, I just want you to have enough food so that you don't die. But I don't want you to have enough food to actually have strength. And to do this for four years as a German soldier, and then after World War II was over, they asked them the question. Here are individuals on trial. They say, why would you do this to individuals? Were the Jews guilty of anything? No. Why were you killing Jews? Why were you destroying their businesses? Why were you kidnapping their children and putting them in ovens? And you know what the response was in the courtroom? They said, Your Honor, it was the law. It was German law. It was voted by the leaders of a nation to exterminate a particular people group. He says, it was the law. And when the judge got tired of hearing that answer, he turned to the man and he says, okay, you keep saying it was the law. Now I have a question for you. Is there not a law above our laws? Something may be in harmony with the law, but is it ethical? Is it right? And the German soldier would respond and say, at first I didn't like it. But eventually you get used to it. And so I want to suggest to you tonight that just like these soldiers, in terms of why did Jesus die? Because people were just following orders. Because people were just doing what they were told. Why did Jesus die? Because people said, just doing my job. As if there is no blame. And I suggest to you tonight that there are many of us in this room right now. We look back at the crucifixion and we're, we're tired of hearing the sob stories. And please believe Jesus is right there with you. Because right in this chapter he tells them the women are weeping. Jesus says don't weep for me. You need to weep for yourself. The goal of the crucifixion was not for you and I to cry. These preachers who get up, try to make you see the blood and the gore. Jesus says, do not weep for me. That's not why this story is told. It's to open your eyes to see that when you and I are in a situation where you're tested on right and wrong, 
and you decide to do wrong because you're saying, I'm just doing my job. What if it became a policy of the school to mistreat individuals because of the color of their skin? What do you do then? And it wasn't too long ago that was a policy in school. And there are many of you that would have killed Jesus because you're just following orders. There are many people in the 1960s who would not refuse to serve people because of the color of their skin. Why? Because it was the law. Do you think it's right? I don't think it's right, but it's the law. And right there in that person, you have crucified the Son of God. There are many of us who do things and we break the Sabbath. Why? I'm just doing my job. Many people take their MCATs on Sabbath. SATs on Sabbath. Study on Sabbath. Why? Hey, my instructor said I have to do this. You would have killed Jesus. And your response would be, I'm I'm just doing my job. I'm just following orders. But Christ's response is already evidence that that ain't going to hold when he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. We love to excuse ourselves when we look at these people. How could you kill Jesus? He was such a good person. You kill Jesus all the time. Again, we may not literally nail him to the cross, but we partake of the spirit of those who took his life. But you see, it's not just that the soldiers were heartless. The Bible goes on to say in Luke chapter 23, in verse 35, that the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. And if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. So there are people who decide that they want to start mocking Jesus. But as they decide to start wanting to mock Jesus, you wonder, okay, soldiers, that's true. Pilate commanded you to kill Jesus. So you're just following orders. But they don't stop there. The Bible goes on to say in verse 36, the soldiers also. That word also in English suggests there was another group besides them. It was one thing for the Jewish people to mock Jesus. They knew who he was. They had a personal issue with Jesus. Whether they were right and wrong is another question. But at least you can say as a Pharisee, I've been following his ministry for three and a half years. And he claims to be the son of God. Come on off the cross and save yourself. But for a soldier who knows that he is innocent. The Bible says, also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, which was the alcohol that the soldiers drank. I used to wonder, where in the world are you doing with sour wine? It's because this is what the soldiers drink. Probably need that when you're killing that many people a day to forget about the pain and the evil that you commit especially when you know the person is innocent. This leads me to my second point about the soldiers. Not just heartless, 
but spineless. See, it's one thing for you to do your job. And I could look at the soldiers and say, yeah, you know, you were under a lot of pressure and stress. And you go home and you tell your wife, you say, honey, what did you do today? And as the soldier is recounting to his wife at home, ah, you know, killed this guy named Jesus, not knowing that was the son of God. As if business as usual. We crucify people every day. But this time, my good friend, you made a mistake. But not only did you just crucify the man, I'm sure you're not going to come home and tell your wife, yeah, we were mocking the God, we put on a crown of thorns, we started bowing down, we blindfolded him, slapped him in the face, said, hey, you're the son of God, right? Tell us who hit you. See, now I have an issue with the concept of no backbone. That here you have a man who is innocent. You know he is innocent. Okay, you crucified him because that's your job. Why then must you mock him? Just because other people are mocking him. And therefore, you and I, even on this campus, there are students who you know are innocent. Don't deserve the mockery they receive, but you join in also. And you have no backbone to stand up for what is right. Just because your friends are making fun of this girl, this boy, they're the butt of every joke, you have no backbone. Spineless. You know, we love to come to chapel, sit down, and when we leave, we like to analyze the speaker. Make fun of their idiosyncrasies. Talk about how boring that was. And we just join in. And while the person's talking in your heart, you're like, but that was actually speaking to me. That was actually a blessing to me. But why don't you speak up in behalf of the speaker? He is innocent. She is innocent. But yet we join the mockery. And in the sight of God, it is no different. You can do it to your friends on campus. You can do it to fellow students. You can do it to your mom and your dad. Yeah, when I'm with my mom, we're blasting my dad. When I'm with my dad, I'm blasting my mom. Why? Because they're blasting my mom, so I might as well join in also. Rather than having backbone. Let me tell you something right now. The church is suffering because of people who have no backbone. People sit and tell me there's all this hypocrisy in the church. Then you show me the right life. Since you're so concerned and so angry about your parents coming home and saying, look, we have to have worship, we have to be vegetarian, you have to do this, your dad's weeping at the altar, but you're like, dad, look at your life at home. So since we're so unhappy with the fact that our parents or aunts or uncles or guardian or teachers, we feel like they're living a double life, then you are the one who needs to live the example. Show me some backbone. Have some courage to stand up for what is right because it is right. Alone. The only people who would have been standing with Jesus at the cross are the people who are willing to be right by themselves. He is innocent. And you know who that was? Nicodemus. Joseph of Arimathea. When everybody was condemning Christ... The Bible says they spoke in his defense. They did not consent. Though the voices overwhelmed, 
they still spoke. And right now, many of us, we have no backbone. We just buckle to the peer pressure. Everyone thinks this is cool. Everyone thinks this is lame. Therefore, I think it's lame. Why cannot we have the courage of our conviction? Speak for your own self. If you want to grow spiritually, then you do that. Forget your friends. And when I preach to inner city kids, always want to come in here acting super hard, leaning back in the chair, no Bible, pants hanging down, hat to the back. Yeah, you know, whatever, man. I ain't trying to hear this God stuff. And I'm saying, you think you're hard. Yeah, man, I'm hard, you know. You're hard. You're going to be real hard in hell, too. Burning. We'll see how hard you are then. And I'm saying that as an inner city person. I grew up in Chicago. I used to be in the gang. I'm not intimidated. You think you're hard? I've seen people demonically possessed can throw you over the wall. Eight years old. You talk about bullets, that doesn't stop people under possession of a demon. And you think you're hard? You haven't seen hard. This whole facade means nothing. You're just putting up a front to cover up the fact that inside you're just a little boy. You're just a little girl who's really scared, so you try to intimidate people to leave you alone. But I'm not fooled. I can take you to where I grew up. All this little hard stuff, you'll be praying more than you're praying now. And the only difference is this. The reason why many of you would be afraid if we went into the inner city is because those people, they say, if I'm going to be a gangster, I'm going to be 100%. And they mean what they say. Excuse me, sister, I think you made a wrong turn. You're in the wrong neighborhood. You don't want to walk here. Well, I'm just trying to get to this restaurant. I'm going to tell you one more time. I don't think you want to walk here. Next time, I won't speak. I'll just shoot. You'll go the other direction. That's what we'll do. In your mind, you're thinking, this person is not bluffing. But the day that people who are gangsters become afraid of people like us and respect us is the day that they realize I am 100% Christian. You think I fear you? I fear God. I'm not afraid of you. Don't you know I can do this? <laughs> you can do what? Listen, man. You can pull the trigger all day long. Tell you a story. A man was in a German prison. And the soldier said, listen, man, if you don't stop singing those hymns, I'm just going to shoot you. You're getting on my nerves. The Christian said, 
Well, I guess you're going to have to shoot me. That's the only way I'll stop praising God. So he kept singing. The man said, that's it. I've had it. Takes his gun, points it at the man, won't fire. Keeps pulling, it won't fire. Turns at the wall, fires. Turns back to the Christian, won't fire. Turns to the wall, fires. He drops the gun and gets on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? He said, you know, I should release you. The man said, I'm not afraid to die for Christ. It is an honor. Hitler does not scare me. I fear someone greater than Hitler. And there is a day when Hitler will be on his knees. He will confess that Jesus is Lord. Pick up your gun, do your job. I'll continue praising my God. If you ever read the great controversy, then you know what I'm talking about. Story after story after story. One of my favorite stories is about John Wesley preaching on the fields of England. Thousands of people listening to this man preach. And while he's preaching, two men walking through the crowd and John Wesley says, I can see them coming. One with the big two by four. And as they come, he says, you know, I'm walking through the crowd and they're like, we're coming for John Wesley. And as they come for John Wesley, one punches him in the mouth with all his force. And the other one hits him with a piece of wood at the same time. John Wesley says, immediately blood started just gushing out of my mouth. But then he writes in his journal, but it felt like someone hit me with a straw. I just kept walking. Didn't even feel anything. That's a person who is a 100 percenter. 100 percent. A person with backbone. In order to preach the gospel, you need courage. To be a Christian takes courage. Even in this school, takes courage. The last thing I want to mention about the soldiers is that the Bible says in verse 36, it says the soldiers. And I always found it interesting that they have no name. So yeah, the soldiers are heartless. They would kill an innocent man just to follow orders. Yeah, the soldiers are spineless. They will not stand up for that which they know is right. But then the fundamental reason why they're willing to do this is because they are nameless. We don't get their names. And let me tell you something. One of the most dangerous things to yours and mine, spiritual life, is to be anonymous. People will do in a crowd what they will not do by themselves. So I always think being at the University of Michigan, you got the big house, 140,000 people. Now you want to see some interesting stuff that requires courage? Look at the people walking into a football game. 
half naked, their whole body is blue and yellow. No clothes on. Hair is dyed blue and yellow. They got blue and yellow contacts on. Painted their toenails blue and yellow. Then they drank some stuff to make their teeth blue and yellow. Gold blue on the front. Wolverines on the back. Then they got the big finger. And they're screaming their lungs off during the game. Now I ask you the question. Do you think that person would be willing to do that if they were the only one in the stadium? Covered in blue and yellow? Yeah! It would be on the midnight news. This guy's dedicated. There is no one else in the stadium except him. But you know why people are willing to do that? It's because there's 120,000 people around him. I'll tell you right now, as a person that gets the privilege to travel to a lot of places in the world, The greatest temptations come when you are in an environment where people don't know you are a Christian. Step on that plane, and I've talked to many people, Fortune 500 companies, CEOs. As we're flying on the plane, they tell me these crazy stories. They have no idea if I'm a Christian. They think I'm just just some young kid whose parents are probably super wealthy who's flying him to this country. That's their perspective. And before I tell them I'm a preacher, I'm going to preach to a group of young people in X, Y, and Z country. As you're listening to them talk, they say, you know, man, I could use a young man like you in my work. We offer women, you know, whatever you want. Are you married? Then you go to a hotel in a foreign country. Please believe many people would love to marry you the moment they find out you're American just to get a visa. And some of you think that's funny, but there are a lot of young people that come to this country unbeknownst to them illegally. Parents didn't even tell them. I married your dad, I married your mom so I could get my papers. That's real. And the strength of the temptation is the fact that Who knows who you are? So when you are anonymous, no one knows, then all of a sudden we know who you really are. I was talking to a young lady from West Virginia one time. She said, have you ever read this book called Post Secret? I said, no, never heard of it. She said, you know, that's why when you write emails or messages, you say P.S., Post Secret. Oh, okay, that's interesting. She says, well, this one started off as a blog. And the person said, I don't want to know your name. I don't want to know where you're from. I just want you to tell me your deepest, darkest secret. Send it to me. I'm going to post it on my blog. And my blog is going to be called America's Deep, Dark Secrets. So he did. He started posting up people. Got blog of the year. I didn't even know they had an award for that. Blog of the year, he eventually published a book called Post Secret, where people send it on a postcard. Say, my deepest, darkest secret is that my husband is the pastor of a very large church 
and I'm actually a lesbian, and I'm having an affair with my best friend, and I'm really atheist. That's my deep, dark secret. I'm an individual in very high places in the United States of America, and I have, how can I say this in a very light way? (laughs) I have sexually abused many women who have worked for me, and I've purchased them into silence. I killed both my parents, but the police think it is an unsolved mystery. I mean, she asked me, you should really check out the book. I actually have no interest in reading the book. But it does serve to illustrate this point. That if we were to compile a book of post secrets in this room, what would be in that book? What would be in that book? And it's in that book that shows us, just like the soldiers, what we do when we are nameless. This is what I did when I thought no one would ever know and no one even saw. That's why Jesus died because people did not have the heart to do the right thing when no one was watching. So we don't care. Big crowd, who notices us? See, I'm not a fool. I was in high school before. And Jesus knows there's a reason why I did not grow up Adventist and go to a boarding academy. I was an evil child. I mean... You would have never invited me to speak at a week of prayer. (laughs) For sure. I think about my early childhood into my high school years. First and second grade, I got expelled from three schools just for violence. They're like, your son, he's seven years old. He's way too violent. He can never come to school here anywhere in this district. My mom was like heartbroken, like, what am I supposed to do with my son? I can't send him anywhere in the county. You're going to have to find another county. Then I went to another school, got expelled again. They said, your son is extremely too violent. He has a record of violence. We cannot have him in our school. By the time I got to high school, they were like, man, Sebastian, you know, 3.98 GPA, You know, my parents would come over, my aunts and uncles, they'd be like, yeah, Sebastian, you know, you have great plans ahead of you. They had no idea what I was doing. No idea. 3.98, this kid doesn't even have time to get into trouble. He's doing all his homework. He's in National Honor Society. Wasn't until later on that they found out. My dad didn't talk to me for five years. More than that, actually. Six years. Because in his mind, no, no, not him. He was the virtual straight-A student. He's got all the good grades, you know. He's doing all the right things. Surely he's not getting into any trouble. 
And I can tell you right now, students know secret places teachers don't know. Students know how to get around the system. We study the system to figure out how to get around the system. But the one thing is, you can may get away from the eyes of teachers and the eyes of other students, but you cannot get away from the eyes of God. And therefore, that same spirit that was in these soldiers has been in many of you. You look for anonymity, a dark corner, a dark place to do that which your lustful, evil heart wants to do. You can come and do whatever you want in Bible class. You can say whatever you want up front and pray however you like in chapel. Not fooling anybody. Just living a double life. And eventually you will break down. And you will accept the fact, I cannot pretend anymore. You cannot maintain it. And when your life breaks down and people see this is who you really are, like a tree. You're like, man, this is such a big tree. Till it falls over and crashes and you realize it was rotting on the inside. Couldn't hold its weight anymore. Tonight, I want to challenge you on these three points. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Challenge is this. Maybe some of you It is heartlessness. You have a mindset of, you know, I'm just doing what I'm told. Just following orders, just doing my job. But you know what you're doing is wrong. Others of you lack backbone, courage to stand up for what you know is right. When Jesus has stood up for you. And some of you are struggling with living a double life. And if you want to say tonight, Lord, if you're heartless, then your prayers give me a heart. To do what is right because it's right. If you're struggling with spinelessness, Lord, give me courage to stand up for the innocent. Give me courage to stand up for my own convictions. And if it's nameless, you say, Lord, I'm tired of living a double life. Give me strength to be a whole person. Stop pretending. If any of those speaks to you, I just invite you to stand as we pray. I want to make a very, very, very specific appeal for someone here who is really deeply struggling.
in your secret life. I don't need to know your business. None of us needs to know your business. But you know you need special prayer because the stuff going on in your private life is messed up. You're like, I'm in a dark place right now. And I need some serious prayer. And I ask you this morning, be real with me. If you are that person that says, I need some serious prayer, my secret life is messed up. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you just to slip out and come up front with me so I can pray with you. Because I know what it's like to be in a dark place, secretly. And the point is that there is hope for that person. You don't have to continue living that way. And you don't have to deal with it by yourself. Come. Your secret life. You say, I need special prayer. I'm in a dark place. You don't need to tell us what you're into. You don't need to tell anybody. This is just between you and God. And you're saying, I need special prayer because privately I'm in a dark place. I'm into some crazy stuff. And I need some serious prayer. You know what it is. I'm just asking you to come so I can pray for you and with you. I'm in a dark place. And I'm in some serious stuff. And I need prayer. Come. The Spirit is speaking to you. You must come. If you're going to be real. If you're going to be real. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. We love to look around to see who's coming. Rather than thinking about ourselves. Is this call for me? That's why I ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Because you and the Holy Spirit can have that conversation. I'm in a dark place spiritually. I'm in some stuff secretly. Please believe. I know I've been in many academies. People in here struggling with masturbation. I'm not in a fool. I'm not a fool. Pornography, anger, spiritualism, demonic stuff. This stuff is not foreign. God has saved people from these things millions of times. And you are not an exception. You have not gone too far. I have to close, so I'm just going to invite one more time. Secretly, you know you're in a bad place. In your private life, you're like, Lord, I need prayer. I need prayer. Jesus can save from every single thing. He is able to do that. Those of you who have come up front, I'm going to ask that you kneel with me as we pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight in prayer, not because we are worthy, Lord. There are some very evil things that you have seen in our private lives. And Lord, we can't pretend. We can't fake it. And if we do, we get tired. And while others may think we are fine and that we are well, that we are spiritual, that we are smart, we know who we are. And you know. And so, Lord, I present before you these youth who have come up front for special prayer. To be reminded again that there is no chapter in our experience so dark that you cannot read. That Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Completely those who come unto God by him. That Christ was exalted as a prince and a savior to give forgiveness and repentance. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit and his work in our hearts to bringing us to this place where we're willing to at least come in prayer. And so I pray for each and every one of them as individuals, as unique cases in need of salvation, in need of inner harmony. I pray, Lord, that you would give them strength to break free out of living a double life. I pray that you would shine brightly through the love of God and your word into their souls that they may have hope and courage that God will change. Lord, for those of us who have stood, pray that you'll give us what we need. Courage to stand for that which is right. Pray that you'll give us a heart to not just follow orders and, Lord, that you would give us honesty, that we would be true even when eyes are not watching. Thank you, Father, for hearing and answering this prayer. And we offer it up in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.